Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Cast. Bud, got to look back at a game that Florida State was victorious in. Uh, some decent amount of things to try to take away from positive, negative, give our listeners an idea as to what we saw, what we've seen on a couple of the rewatches, and how that projects to the rest and for the rest of the season. As always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, Louisiana Hot Sauce title sponsor, the Cast and uh, people that we continue to be fortunate enough to work with. We'll thank our friends in New Iberia, and we'll also go ahead and start the podcast uh, with an acknowledgement and a best wishes sent to Coach Bowden. Obviously, if you're listening to this program, uh, you're more than well aware as to what Bowden's meant for this university and, and college football overall, um, and a guy that seems like he had some exposure after having a, a leg injury uh, earlier in the week. So we certainly send our best to coach Bowden by all accounts early uh, news is that he seems to be doing well, uh, but we'll continue to hope that that is the case and hope that that guy has uh, many more days on this earth because he's uh, certainly quite the character and has been uh, so meaningful to the, to many of the people that listen to this podcast. Absolutely. I read the night. I think this, uh, I think this is from the Democrat uh, that, that asymptomatic. So uh, that's, that's certainly encouraging and, and hopes it continues uh, to be that way. And I, I got to tell you, I'm excited to do tonight's show. I, I really am. I, I feel like I'm fired up. I, I really dug into the film review on, on Sunday morning. And I know how pathetic that might sound, especially if you're listening to this show and, and you know, you're know you not an FSU fan. Yeah, like we're fired up to do a show reviewing comeback win over an FCS team. I, I get that. But that's where we are right now. There was a lot in this game that I think you can take away and look at how it applies going forward. You can sort of start to see some of the adjustments that the staff wants to make, some of the creativity that this staff has, some of their plans, some of their plans which didn't go right, and some of their plans which went right, and and how they reacted to those plans which failed. If Mike Norvell uses the the, the acronym CLIMB all the time, uh, and this team has a long way to climb, uh, but this might have been the first step of of that client. And so I, I'm excited to, uh, to get into that. And the first thing I want to get into tonight is the story is going to be Jordan Travis. But dude, they started Tate Rodemaker on purpose. They thought Tate was the guy and they were wrong. That was their plan for about a week and a half too, uh, was to roll with Rodemaker. I mean, we uh, we sandwiched around some jokes about Spawn in Spain. Thanks, think Clemson uh, or think COVID-19 for no Clemson or Notre Dame or something like that. But, you know, the, the idea was certainly out there. And I, I said that, that that was my expectation that Rotomaker starts. And that's something the staff had been decided upon for about a, a week, week and a half internally, it sounds like. So it was great to watch Travis perform the way that he did and, and have some confidence in playing the position that we haven't seen for a while. And we're not going to try to take away from that. But I, I do think it's another thing that you have to have in the back of your mind as to the fact that the staff looked at all these quarterbacks and had kind of built for a week or week and a half uh, to go with Rotomaker and to see what he was able to give you and, you know, ran into a horrible decision, which turned into seven in his first drive and then showed some other concerning things um, in, you know, an ability or an inability to get rid of the ball, hold on to the ball too long. Uh, he wasn't just taking sacks. He was taking like 16 yard loss sacks, which is indicative of a guy who's kind of running out of pocket and backwards. So uh, rough start for him, <laughs> but that's what the staff saw. And that is, it's, you know, I think it's a good starting point as to where we, where we kick off the conversation tonight. And not only that, but like, yeah, man, he just looked like a, like a true freshman who was not ready to play this level of college football. 
I think there's a lot that we got wrong in the preseason, but that's that's something that I, we actually I think probably got right was that he does not profile as a guy who's ready to make an impact, uh, even against an FCS team early on in his career. He actually threw another ball, which which should have been picked, uh, and like honestly, it was so like badly read and thrown that the DB missed it because he jumped it to her. <laughs> he just surprised him. Is this like the, the 28, 28 yard play to Terry or whatever that you're referencing? I'm trying to remember how far it went, but or I can't remember if that's Terry or not, but it's the one first, first play of the possession that, yeah, it's to the near sideline and uh, basically throws it between the guy's hands. Cause he just can't get him up in time. It's like an eight yard out. Probably. We're, we're, I, th- I think we're talking about the same one. You made a couple probably wrong checks in the run game and Florida State. So Rodemaker exits the game, eight of 12, 58 yards. Um, one pick should have been two. Even without that, I mean, 58 yards on 12 throws is, uh, what is that? Like 4.5, not really going to work 4.6. That, that's, that's pretty terrible per attempt. And so he just clearly was not ready. And FSU turns to Jordan Travis, man. I understand it's an FCS team. Full caveat, I don't want to have to keep saying that over and over again tonight, so I just kind of want to say it one time and get it out of the way. Yes, it was an FCS team. Yes, you absolutely should adjust expectations against other teams, no doubt. But at the same time, uh, it worked. And what they did was they kind of went to, can we call it an emergency plan? I think it's a plan they know that they had in their back pocket, but it's also a very limited plan. And that plan was essentially use Jordan Travis as... I don't want to call him a glorified wildcat because he did throw the ball better than that in this game. This was vast majority of his plays were spread option type plays, veer read, zone read, toss read. Uh, they, they ran a lot of uh, like that, that Auburn stuff. Remember when, uh, who was the quarterback for Auburn when, uh, when FSU played him in the, in the natty uh, Marshall, Nick Marshall. Do you remember the play in the kick six game? Nick Marshall is running that like it's, he's running his own read looks like he's going to take off with, with the ball. And right before he gets to the line of scrimmage, he turns and fires the ball to Sammy Coates. Right. And Bama's coaches are absolutely furious because there's like three or four offensive linemen, like 10 yards downfield blocking and, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera. And they'd already been victimized by Ole Miss that year doing the same thing that he, they did that a lot, right. Where, where, where you're executing his own read. And then a lot of teams play this like pull and fire to the bubble quickly out of the zone read, but the way FSU runs it, and I think you were absolutely right to note this in the instant, uh, is more of like a true triple option thing, right? So they 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 do the zone read, and if it's a keep for Travis, he's actually running and attacking the line of scrimmage after he's already made the zone read or the veer read or however you want to play it, because um, you, you can tag this bubble on to, to a lot of these, these plays. Uh, after he's made his, his initial read, he's actually attacking the line of scrimmage with the idea that he still has the ability to flip the ball out there on the bubble. Um, and that's something that clearly, you know, he's, he's trying to do. If, in fact, it's very clear to me, A, he did it a couple of times, so it's obvious, but B, look how he's holding the football, right? Like he's actually holding it. Like he's actively going to consider flipping it out there if, if there's any shot. So that was really what they did. The other aspect of what they did is, is what they, they didn't do. They threw almost no drop back passes. I think I counted two out of his 17 attempts. I, I, depending on how, on how you want to, you know, classify that. I think you had, I think they had like seven or eight, eight bubbles. Uh, they had three or four like play action passes. 
they had two that I would call kind of quick game, you know, three step or, or, or just catch and throw stuff. Also, FSU only threw two passes on third down. They faced 10 total third downs with Travis in the game and they ran on eight of those plays and threw on two of them. So, uh, very clear that this plan did not involve the trust of Jordan Travis to sit in the pocket really ever and make throws. We'll see if that expands later on. Uh, but that's kind of what they did, dude. And it was very effective when he came in there. The FSU, I think, had eight yards rushing through three quarters and finished up with 286. If you take the sacks out, that, that doesn't suck. Toe Philly, Corbin, Webb. Eight yards after the first quarter and 286 in the next three, just to clarify what you said there. That does not suck. Uh, you know, Travis, what, 11 carries, 48. The passing game was efficient in terms of like yard, yards per attempt. Very efficient. You're able to hit some chunk plays. It, it, looked, it looked pretty solid, right? And, you know, yes, you only score 41 on an FCS team. Let's be optimistic here. If Travis plays all four quarters and you're executing this plan for all four quarters, do you score 51? You might, right? Uh, I think that's that's entirely possible. You, you basically wasted a quarter uh, r- running running Tate out there. Yeah, that that's that's what they did. I I think next we should probably get into like why they did it, and then after that, why why it worked. We we may disagree on why they did it. I I'll let you go first. You know, if and I referenced this in in the instant. If if our own internal text messaging was uh, reflective at all of the way that the staff felt, then I imagine they were pretty damn desperate after watching the team go down 14, nothing and, and watching uh, Rotomaker, you know, not, like I said, not only get sacked, but lose, you know, quantitative amounts of yards in the process of getting sacked. I, I think, you know, you're, you, you had a, a, a moment uh, to be perfectly honest with you, whether it be when you're down 14 to nothing or 20 to seven, I think that the, the staff knew that it had to do whatever it could. And I also think in the back of its minds, it, it knew not only that it was playing an FCS team, but a team that it was the first game and a team that it was only going to play four games and a team that was probably even down 14 to nothing, probably confident that it would be able to, you know, run at it enough to wear it down and, and have success over time. But it was, it was full on desperation. I mean, it, it was, if you lose that game, I don't, you know, nobody's getting fired in game three and nobody's getting fired in, in one, but you lose such a portion of the fan base that I don't think you ever recover from that, just to speak bluntly. Uh, I don't know uh, that you can. So, yeah, I think it was uh, whatever cards they had they were going to play, and, and Travis at that point in time was far and away the most uh, attractive of, of the lot. So. I do think they held out hope that they could run, quote-unquote, their offense, because I don't think what they're running right now is is really their offense in, in the sense of what they want the offense to look like eventually under – under Chuba or or under under Tate, uh, but they ran the offense that they had to have. You nailed it, dude. Like that is a loss that would really, you know, really, like that that could mess you up because that that could could before the you even have the chance to meet some of these top boosters, right? Because you haven't been able to get out and do the booster tour. A loss like that is a loss that might have people labeling you in their own minds as incompetent as a coach. Like if you lose to that team. That's jet, like you can't lose to an FCS team. That, that's that's one that lingers, like like when when uh, when Muschamp lost to Georgia Southern. Yeah, I agree with you. I also think that like from a recruiting standpoint, they understand that it does matter that you win some games. They are not going to show improvement on on the field this year over last year. 
I'm pretty sure last year's team beats this year's team. I also think that at some point you realize, screw it. We, we, we cannot protect the drop back pass game. Like this is what we're going to have to be. And it's extremely limited. And yes, running this does basically totally take us out of the, of the, having the ability to, to beat some teams on our schedule. Cause we know like this is just, it's not going to work at all. But at the same time, it's not like you're going to drop back pass and beat Clemson when, when you can't pass protect. I think you're right. And I think ultimately you want to, you have to balance the success that you have and the implementation of what you want to do from a schematic standpoint with also just the collective buy-in of both boosters, team, everything else. And so if it means that year one, you're having a, a base level of success to have people believe in you, and maybe you're not able to do it exactly with the offensive personnel and formation and, and, uh, you know, really lay in the, the ground, the groundwork, the frame, whatever you want to call it there, that you have to realize that, that, you know, you know, you're probably going to pivot to an extent in philosophy at some point, but you still have to get this train moving down the tracks and, and start to have people believe from a, from an internal and external uh, point of view. I, I completely agree. And, and I, I think that the, running this offense does give you a chance to, you know, to not win just one or two games. Right. This is going to give you a chance to maybe win you know, three games, maybe maybe four games, depending on on kind of what you feel. I'm not going to get into like developments throughout the ACC tonight, but it seems like NC State may have found a quarterback, and, and Virginia's offensive line is uh, is is pretty damn good at, at least in early returns. This is stuff that we might have picked up on if these teams had spring practice. You know, like I, I have no idea if NC State ever starts Bailey Hockman if they had had a chance to see Leary and Hockman in spring ball because Larry has been awesome for NC state. So let's go ahead and get into, to why this worked, because I, I think there are several reasons. The obvious one is because it was an FCS team and it was kind of shocking that your normal stuff wasn't working because it's an FCS team and that probably should. But I think there are some, some insider stuff here that we should break down. Uh, the first thing is this coaching staff actually has a lot of experience running spread option concepts. Okay. Like Gus, Obviously, it has a lot of lot, lot of influence over the staff's coaching tree. Coach Coach Dillingham, your OC, was was just there at Auburn and was certainly around um, around a lot, a lot of the wing stuff and a lot of the read stuff that that Auburn, even though they had Bo Nix last year, who is not quite as much of a runner as say Nick Marshall was, they run that a lot. And then Coach Alex Atkins, who was was at Tulane with Willie Fritz, w- Willie Fritz, one of the best spread option coaches in the entire country. And, and he very much understands how to block it up. And I'm sure coach Atkins is over the moon right now <laughs> that, uh, that, that they're able to run some of this stuff because it, it really helps out his offensive line quite a bit, uh, which is sort of my, my second point here. When you run this, when you have a legitimate running threat at quarterback, and it's not just a scramble threat, but like a run threat as in, he's a major part of your run game. It changes the angles for the offensive line because it gives you an extra blocker. You're creating the extra gap the defense has to account for. It allows you to, to play more double teams. It just makes it easier to run block. Now you sacrifice things in other areas, certainly, but those things you're sacrificing, you haven't done a damn thing with this year anyway. So it's like, oh no, we have to throw away the drop back passing game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't do that to me. No, I hate to give that away. No, not yeah. a second slice of pie. <laughs> that helps a ton. Okay. And I think that also allows you to play more guys in this scheme, who otherwise might not be ready, a la maybe a Robert Scott, right? 
I think if Robert Scott gets thrown out there right now and asked to do a whole lot of drop back throwing, guess what's going to happen? He's probably not going to do very well. Robert Scott is somebody who can come off the ball, can be aggressive, can play with good effort and energy, and he has some length. He still doesn't have great bulk, but he's not, you know, tiny, tiny. Kind of looks like freshman Zebra Sanders running out there or, 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 uh, uh, freshman Rod Johnson running around out there. Knowing that, that you're going to be running the ball and be a little bit more downhill, that you're going to have double team help, that you're going to have a little more advantageous angles. There's certain, like, and, and the reason why, why that works for one thing is when you have a read thing, there's a certain guy you're not blocking, right? So like on purpose, you are not trying to block one of the guys on the opposing defense. Instead, you're, you're holding him accountable by reading him. If he goes after the quarterback, you're going to give to the back, right? If he goes after the back, you know, you, you as the quarterback are going to keep it. If the overhangs there, then you may want to flip it out to the bubble. It's not quite that simple, but it's, it's as far as podcast stuff, that's about as deep as I want to go into that because it, most people are driving and not watching this. So I, I think that's another reason why it worked. I also think Jordan Travis, man, your QB, I, I think he has a, a, an extremely high comfort level running this offense and, and these concepts. And that's not from being in Norvell's system for a long time. I think that's just what he's always been comfortable doing, even back to high school. Yeah, he certainly displays a level of uh, of comfort and, and, like I said, brings a level of composure to, to the position that we haven't seen for a while. And it uh, it certainly helps with all your angles. Uh, you're right, and it helps you with just the pure, simple math of football that it creates uh, an extra person you're able to leverage even further off not blocking somebody. Um, and it also it makes – it makes those who are responsible for pursuing and diagnosing the play on the other side of the ball that much more uh, deliberate in their decision-making. I mean, you, you have to be sure that the quarterback actually gave the ball because this one will keep it. Um, so it, it makes you kind of diagnose the play for that extra half second, uh, all the further giving you a, a better ability to, you know, kind of get an advantage for an offensive line and, tight end group that needs every advantage it can get. So uh, it's an interesting group. I think you're right. It lets you bring about some offensive linemen that maybe you wouldn't feel comfortable or as comfortable with. And, uh, you know, it probably does that with your skill set guys too. Obviously, Philly saw action, but saw a couple of the younger names, uh, again, that I wasn't, you know, wouldn't have thought that we would have seen a couple games ago, who I think maybe you can bring about and, and release into this offense uh, in a little bit more of a confident manner than if you were doing um, some of your original install. And Toa Philly showed some stuff in this game that really you haven't been able to see him show in prior games because the blocking hasn't been there consistently enough. It's been there once in a while. But in this game, the blocking was more consistent. And I agree with you, man. His vision and his patience on some of these runs is pretty impressive. And he really, like, he's so young. He doesn't know not to trust this offensive line yet. So yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> that's a you know, like he hasn't been ruined. Hadn't had his ribs cracked uh, exactly. So and also he's uh you know he's not he's got good vision and he's got a good excel. I will just say one other thing: when he first got here, um, uh, or when when we were going into the season originally, a lot of the staff privately would tell you they weren't sure how much they were going to be able to get out of him just because he didn't have a summer lift session didn't have some of the, the physical strength that maybe you would hope out of a running back. And so I only bring that up. Some people gain, some people do get faster with a more heavy lift program. Others don't. Um, I think if Tola Philly has time to 
you know, go through. He's never going to be a four, three, two guy or something like that. But I do think that as he develops his body and, and is able to take advantage of a weight room that uh, you might see him pick up a little bit more straight line speed as well, but he's got incredible agility uh, vision that appears to be maybe his strongest suit and a guy, uh, like I said, in the instant, a guy that I think you can, you know, have some degree of confidence in that's going to be a part of your offense for the next two to three years. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. The other thing I would put, I would put here is that they did a very nice job of creating linebacker conflict. Again, acknowledging that part of that is because this is, a, this is an FCS team and up front, like they're really having to get their backers very involved and, and given the aggressiveness level required, you're going to be able to conflict those guys quite a bit. Uh, but at the same time, good job by Florida State of, of doing that. This is an offense that can work against some of the teams you play. Let's let's dig into this a little more, by the way. Why not Travis first I, after seeing what we saw? Do you think that Travis just never looked like this in practice? Do you think he didn't look like, like this in practice enough? Or do you think that they are just concerned with going to this because of how limiting it could be? Yeah, it's a good question, bud. And, I, and I'll be honest, I don't know the exa- I don't know the answer. I'll, I'll give some things as a point of reference again that they were you know had planned on starting Rotomaker for a week and a half or so. Um, but at the same time, if you go back and watch the first series, first two series against the Miami game, Travis is basically what the offense is built around. So it, it's not as though you can say that they weren't aware of the kid or, or weren't trying to take advantage advantage of his skill set, um, but. I don't, you know, I think because he had been limited and, and maybe you come to a mental opinion that he's a little bit of a gadget quarterback or whatever, uh, that you're trying to find somebody that you can, you know, roll with and then periodically introduce Travis's skill set into the game. But he, he throw he doesn't throw, he's not an excellent thrower. Okay. Everybody understands that. And, and, uh, I realized that, you know, you can question some ball placement and things like that, but there's, there's nobody on this roster that's even, near an excellent thrower. I mean, everybody's got uh, questions and and limitations at this point, at least from what we've seen. So I am a little bit curious as to why the staff looked at everybody and and continued to choose other options. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of obvious the staff knew that they had a, a pretty relatively speaking and relatively speaking to the other composition of this roster, um, somewhat of a dynamic athlete that it appeared they tried to, you know, very much be a, a, a foundation of what they were building around on offense, just not necessarily as your traditional uh, quarterback. That that makes sense. Um, you know, it, it's also noteworthy. We were hearing the same stuff about Travis from this staff that we were hearing from the last staff as far as like, they don't really think he can throw. Now, part of that was his arm in camp. I don't know if he was going through a dead arm or if it was like an actual, you know, arm injury injury. But like he was definitely limited in camp. So if you want to give the staff a pass as far as like they're thinking he can't throw, uh, then, you know, maybe, maybe they should get a pass because they didn't get spring with him and because he was limited in fall camp. Certainly if he looked like this in camp and in practice and they didn't play him, then I think that's, uh, that, that's, that would speak poorly of them. And I, I generally think people tend to, to make rational decisions if possible. It doesn't mean they always make right decisions, but I, I, I think if, if he did look like this at camp a good bit, which I don't believe he did, uh, then, you know, uh, then I think they would have probably started him. But maybe there is something to the idea that like, they were hoping 
that, that Tate could work out and give you more variety on offense and the ability to actually throw the football uh, when you're not in a, in, a, in a positive leverage situation, which Florida State basically didn't do at all in this game, despite their, their successes. Let's go ahead and go now to like the things we noticed, if, if you want to. Uh, I, I think this is something that like just kind of individual guys on, on the rewatch who, who stood out to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll jump into things we noticed. Uh, before we do that, we'll thank our friends at Madison Social for, uh, for the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, great partners for the Nolcast. Uh, great enhancers of the experience of being a Florida State athletic supporter. Fantastic options down there in uh, College Town Centrale. Madison Social Township, as always, we'll go ahead and remind you, the 17th of the month is Reuben Day, and uh, would ask that you put that on your calendar, support our friends, uh, Matt and his team, and uh, we'll jump back into it. I mean, the one thing that I noticed, Bud, uh, immediately that jumped out at me, just looking at the offensive line, is uh, Love Taylor's a pretty damn decent offensive lineman. I don't want to make him out to be great. I don't want to say anything else, but that's a, that's a guy that, if all parties are happy with it, I fully expect him uh, hopefully to be here next year and to kind of be one of the pieces that you work around. In my opinion, ideally, if you can play that kid at right guard, uh, that's his best position, find a tackle that you can kind of put outside of him. And that is a real legitimate piece uh, for an offensive line that desperately needs a legitimate, you know, a bona fide offensive lineman. Yeah. I, I, not only that, but like the versatility that, that he was cool with, with playing both tackle spots and guard. He pulled well. Uh, I mean, he's, He's playing well, um, and that's that, that was a good get for them this offseason. I mean, he, he's definitely overwhelmed sometimes at tackle play, playing the better competition. You know, I, I thought Phillips did pretty well against him for Miami, and there's going to be other guys on the schedule who will probably eat his lunch. But he's competent at the very least, and probably a little bit better than that. So I'm I'm excited by that. I already sung the praises a little bit of Robert Scott, but I man, I, I think you might have something there. I know Coach Atkins was extremely excited on signing day when when he won that battle to get Robert Scott uh, and uh, the kid out of Arkansas. They were they were very happy about that, and that's that's a pretty big deal, man. Because like that's the one spot on this team that you well not the one spot. There's a couple spots that is one of the spots in this team that you know you need to upgrade if you want to have success. And they were able to do that. So extremely good job by FSU to go out and get him. I'm not telling you he's going to be a superstar or even a star. But he moved out, He moved around well out there. He didn't always look like he, he knew what he was doing. But I thought Coach Atkins had him coached up pretty well for one of these you know, first games of his career. And importantly, like he wanted to hit somebody. He was out there being aggressive, and that reminds me of somebody who we saw last year, uh, who we were very excited about going into the offseason, with the exception that, that he got hurt. And that was that was Dante Lucas who was also showing aggressiveness and wanting to hit somebody. And it stood out as, damn, he actually wants to get after somebody out there. And I, 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 thought, that was, uh, I, thought, I thought that was important to note. So Robert Scott, I would anticipate him playing more. And then also, dude, I, I liked what I saw out of Maurice Smith. I, 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 know, I know he didn't play the, the entire game, but he's athletic. He's a guy who, who can get to the second level in space. I think he has the ability to help on double teams. And then quickly climb. I think having a center with that level of athleticism could help you be more effective as far as the ability to, to have him pull and get out and move on screens. Now he is light in the ass, and that's certainly a negative. That's something he's going to have to continue to work on probably throughout his career because he's not the biggest guy frame wise. 
but at least we're seeing some positives here out of Marie Smith. So those are some, some things I, I think you can build on. Chaz Neal, I, I know we had a couple questions about him. I, I think Kessna, shout out Kessna for always asking good questions. Kessna thought he played well. I don't know if I'm going to go quite well, uh, but I think that he was, okay, what, what should I say here? Not terrible. I don't even think he had, probably did not have any, even an average grade, but he was not like unplayably bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't embarrass himself, certainly. And, and obviously everything's through the filter, the, the competition played, uh, and the fact that it was a second half of a team that's only going to play uh, four games, but he, uh, finished a block or two and, and did not, uh, you know, wasn't total meltdown upon him going in and, and, uh, you know, more importantly, weren't able to just look and see somebody, you know, repetitively being beat at uh, the same position over and over again, which if you've watched some Florida State football uh, over the past couple of years, that is something that has been true at the tackle position. So uh, Thompson didn't play. Lucas rumored. Uh, there have been a lot of rumors about Lucas really going back to last weekend. Uh, and I was fairly confident that he wasn't going to play this game for a a litany of reasons, but no Thomas, no Lucas, uh, Lucas, Jeff Cameron reported today that Lucas, uh, missed curfew as well. Yeah. There was so. some missed curfew rumors and some, some things that were even tied back to the Miami game that had me suspicious as to whether or not he was going to play. Like staying on the field and, and trying to smack talk all the guys after you got blown out instead of just going to the locker room and arguing with coaches. Some of that, some of the, particularly the last part. Yeah. <laughs> Thompson doesn't play. I mean, that's, uh, fine by me, whether or not there's a deeper story there, whether or not it's just a general frustration of a wide receiver who doesn't receive. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I really care. Uh, just happy to see that there's some uh, at least perceived accountability there. And uh, you know, when you win, everything will, will look to some extent better, but I, and I mentioned this in the instant and I'm even more confident in the review, you know, you got a better higher all level of blocking and effort from your wide receivers. Uh, Terry, you know, maybe, maybe whatever, come to Jesus meeting they had worked out with him who knows but Terry was uh engaged at a level that I don't think you've seen from him and the rest of the unit uh looked really good and and Wilson is not a dynamic you know superstar but he continues to improve in my opinion and and gives you a decent little option there so do you uh, this is not on the script but uh off just wide receiver related do you love the idea of Helton returning kicks right now no I really don't man I I I almost think you have more dynamic guys on the team. And uh, I'm not really sure why he continues to return kicks there. Um, Do you like it? No, I don't particularly. I mean, I think he's decent and he had a nice little uh, return there uh, where maybe if he doesn't have the injury and maybe I'm just being an idiot, but the, the uh, wouldn't be the first time, but the, uh, the visual appearance of the, of the knee brace on the kick returner just bothers me. Something, something about that doesn't, doesn't seem right. And maybe there's another option there. Maybe there's not. I would I would like to see that them try some more options there. He's not terrible at it, but I mean I also think he's he's important enough on offense that you really don't uh, you know you, you don't necessarily want him getting hurt on on a kick return. Um, I, I was I was pleased with the receivers who did play in the game. Certainly, like I did not notice an absence of like I noticed that Warren Thompson was not out there, but not because they were missing it. I, I think I've made my made my my thoughts on him pretty well known. The talent's obvious. There's a reason that you let him back on the team, but at the same time, like there has to be some buy-in too on on both sides. And also, catching the football is is important part of playing receiver at some point. Uh, Jordan Young, I I thought 
was like not always super consistent in his blocks, but the good ones that Jordan Young made, I thought were really good. Like he had some misses and, and some whiffs, which you really can't have. And I'd rather have a receiver just be like an okay blocker, but consistently like get a piece of the guy than have a rece- you know, receiver who's just pancaking a dude and then whiffing. So that's not necessarily a good thing, but I, I did like the effort that he gave when he actually got a piece. He, he, he had some, some very nice physical blocks there. And looking at, at the game, I went back and looked at all of Travis's throws because we know he can run. We actually saw this last year against Boston College and then some, what, against Arizona State and a couple other games. I don't think Travis threw any passes between 10 and 20 yards in the air. That's something Notre Dame will probably chart to and just something to watch going forward. If it's all bubbles and bombs, that can work against some teams. That is definitely concerning, the inability to threaten the middle of the field and specifically you know, the, the ability to throw it over a corner's head in front of a safety with, with, with your outs and, and your corner routes and things like that. That's a concern I have with playing him, and the better teams will dare him to hit those balls, and my guess is that he can't to be honest, based on what the last staff thought of him. And I don't think the last staff was total idiots about everything. And what this staff you know, probably thought of him, at least through camp, which admittedly was limited. They have, they got to find a way to threaten that a little bit better. Um, they will be able to open up more areas against a lot of these teams because you're going to have to commit an extra defender to stop the run. Where this becomes problematic uh, is when you have some teams. Do you remember that screenshot I sent out two years ago when FSU went to play Notre Dame and they only had five men in the box and they were still stuffing FSU's run game. There are a couple teams on this schedule who all that stuff that I said about how you get the extra blocker and better angles and and you have to account for the QB run threat and all that stuff. It's still true, but if you're still getting whipped up front at some of these spots, there are just some teams that you're not physically ready to play. That's where like playing this offense could turn into something almost like USF. Like if you watched any USF so far this year, they just can't throw unless it's off play action or, or some kind of screen. Um, like if, if they're not really respecting your play action game, and I don't think that your play action or your run game actually has to be successful to make play action work. We've actually seen some pretty good evidence that it doesn't, right? You just have to make sure that you're in a, you're in a down and distance where running the ball is kind of theoretically reason, a reasonable choice to make. You know, you don't have to be like, I don't know, am, I, am I saying this right? Like, you don't actually have to be good at running the ball in order for play action to work. But we also know that like play action on third and eight is not really going to be effective because teams are playing pass in those downs. So there are certain teams that that, that will become a problem with. But on, on early downs, it could maybe still help. I think this offense might be able to hit some more explosive plays than the prior offense was. They were already doing it in this game. But the ability to push the ball down the field, and I have a lot of questions about Travis throwing the ball, by the way, still. I, I think he was actually fairly slow to get the ball out on some of the quick game stuff, and that, that'll hurt you against better defenses. Uh, we didn't really see him throw the ball over top of somebody, but then in front of another defender. Most of the stuff that, that he threw was either screens or just throwing it over everybody's head, which is a different skill than you know placing the ball at depth. But this can work. This this can work against some of the teams that you play. And if your offensive line and your team gets better around him, this can work maybe against one or two other teams. Defensively, I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch the, the, the defensive rewatch 
quite as much as I did the offense because with the offense, there's more to talk about. With the, with the defense, less so. I thought Renardo Green, though, was playing pretty well. Like he's consistently around the ball. When they're giving up big completions, he's not typically the guy who is trailing with his arms up in the air, like acting like he doesn't know what he's doing. Linebacker play, like it, they had this conundrum because they, I think they'd like to play some man to man and their backers can't handle it. And then the communication of this defense, this is the, this is where I would fault the coaching on this defense, right? People are like, what specifically are you, are you faulting? Right? Their DB technique so far has not been great. I don't know that's totally going to get fixed in just, Couple weeks of camp and, and early season. Uh, if if they're if they're not fixed next year, then I, I think you really have some issues. But as far as the, like the coaching and scheme wise stuff, that the total defense, so the, the, the backers not communicating with each other and playing within within the scheme, the the backers not communicating with, with the safeties and the corners that they don't alert each other. When, when like there are certain ways you play zone coverage, and you need to alert somebody that hey. This guy's coming into my zone or hey, pick, 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 right? In and in and in. There, there, there are calls you got to make almost like a, like a fire call or a Peter call that you make if you have a botched snap on, on a field goal or a punt, right? Like, like there, there are certain calls where like you have to alert somebody. This is why some of these defenses that quote unquote play zone look like they're playing man because they communicate so well that they pick up the guy almost instantly when he, when he enters their zone. They're not just dropping to a spot and defending grass. They're defending whichever man crosses in to their zone. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, that was kind of my my one complaint about the defense. Also, I think they still have zero sacks from defensive ends this year, but I did notice that Kendo was a little bit better in this game than the rest of the DNs. It's not saying much. Yeah, Kendo played in the backfield for a couple snaps. That was nice to see. Um, I went back and watched the defense trying to get make more sense of it, bud, and it's. Uh, it's just real frustrating. I mean, the level of performance that you're getting up front is just uh, boils down to a lot of guys just not winning one v one matchups, uh, and a lot of guys that you certainly think they would that it's just not happening, and it flows back from there. Uh, the linebackers are okay. I thought Dix made some kind of what I would label high school air stuff. You can get away with in high school. You can run underneath a block and still make a tackle. You can take bad angles. There's a, I'm still very optimistic about what. Dix ultimately projects that, but there's a lot of work to be done with Marv uh, and him. And there's, uh, you know, some, some missed tackles out of the backers that you wouldn't expect, but man, the defense is a, remains a bit of a mystery to me and uh, a unit that's going to have to perform at a much higher level uh, for Florida state to have a chance to win. You know, if you're, if you're, if, if best case scenario right now is maybe a 500 record, then defense line's got to play at a level that we haven't even seen, uh, you know, minor glimpses of so far. Yes, indeed. They, they, they absolutely do. All right. Let's talk implications of what this, what this move to Jordan Travis, what, what the implications are, what, what, what it means going forward. We'll talk about all the, the positive implications that can occur when you pair your business with our friends at Congruity. Uh, Matt Lewis and his team have been uh, ever so kind to, provide a great amount of leadership to the Nolcast this year, and we're really fortunate to be able to work with them. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized, highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. Uh, So whether it be HR and compliance, payroll, or a variety of other things that they can help you and your business function at the highest level possible, 
please do keep our friends in congruity in mind. You can reach them at 844-247-4100 or contact Matt directly at Knowles at congruityhr.com. All right, man. So, so well, what does this mean going forward? Like, is this offense such such a departure from what you actually want to run if you're Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham that like you can't come back and go to, to Chuba or, or Tate later in the year if, if you need to? How do you balance what you're trying to do in practice in terms of getting ready for games, running this? I mean, clearly that's going to be your main focus. Like, do you continue to run some of your other passing concepts that maybe you wouldn't normally run with Jordan Travis? Or do you think that, that this staff can successfully mesh what they're doing here, which is kind of an extreme version of one direction of their offense with maybe what they want it eventually to be? And like, do you still think that there's a track for, for Purdy to take over at some point this year? So I think it's kind of, I don't know if lazy is the right word, but it, it is a, uh, like you're certainly making some assumptions to just be like, oh, well, Purdy's everything that Travis is, but better, you know, better runner, better thrower. So we'll be able to install this and just kind of flawlessly drop him into the mix. I, having said that, I do think there's some strength and there's a very much legitimate, like a legitimate train of thought that the offense that you prepare for Purdy is a hell of a lot more likely and, and resembles this one than what you do for Rotomaker per se. So I, I think you can continue to move in this direction. I think overall, you know, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, you've got something that you want to install. You have your own offensive identity. At the same time, uh, you have to have a roster that has some type of sense of confidence in you and in themselves uh, to have success regardless of what ultimately you want to install. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, we can talk about this being a year zero, but you've still got to have things that you can point to on the recruiting trail that, hey, this is how we play in, a, in an ideal situation. These are the type of uh, opportunities that we create for you. You've got to be able to show something to kids that ultimately, you know, what you project uh, two to three years down the road and how you project to utilize them and put them in the best case scenario. So, I think there's some kind of blend overall as to what you want to do and what you can do right now. Um, I do think that it probably helps Purdy if if there is some kind of Purdy Rotomaker horse race, which I personally don't believe would be the case, but it does help Purdy that the offense that you develop with Travis is one that he could much more seamlessly step to step into than, than Rotomaker. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you brought that up. The, the, the idea that this can't be a throwaway year developmentally and you can't just run just this spread option. I don't want to say wildcat, but kind of pseudo wildcat, like, like, you know, type type offense and not develop your regular offense and, and not, not get party ready. Cause it, it is going to be important that you take a step forward in year two and show improvement. Cause you certainly are not, are not showing improvement year to year this year. Oh, you may be, you may be able to show improvement game to game. There's a lot of this stuff that I think, young Chubba Purdy is probably going to benefit from running quite honestly. Like I I think eventually he will be a much better thrower than Jordan Travis is. And look, maybe Jordan Travis develops as a thrower or maybe he can throw the ball better than I think. Honestly, he already looked a little bit better than I thought throwing the ball on Saturday. Now, granted, I think it's important to remember what he was throwing and what he wasn't throwing. I think Purdy his main asset right now is, is that athleticism. Remember he got hurt in the scrimmage. He was scrambling, right? Like he, he was, he was trying to make a play 
down by the goal line when he got hit. And it's, you know, obviously if you want to, we can revisit the idea of should your quarterback get hit in scrimmage or not. I can understand both arguments. (laughs) I think there's an interesting idea here. If this staff had spring and knew what they had in James Blackman, do you think they let Purdy run in 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 a fall scrimmage? Yeah, that's a good question. That, that is a good question. And, and probably, you know, I'd probably say that they don't, but I, again, I don't, I have, I have, uh, and not to take us off track, but I have questions as to whether or not you really see James, that is James in practice versus, versus game day, James. And I, I wonder if you would be able to create, you know, some of the situations that kind of, you know, let's just let you see the the raw product that you're working with there. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's very valid. My, answer your question is that no, they probably wouldn't, but I'm not sure you would quite see some of the, the warts that exist with a, uh, with Blackman in a practice type setting. Podcast also brought to you by Shannon Young and Chad, 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN. More than 80 Noel Cast listeners have chosen those guys for, for their home loan or their refi. Ingram, I, I had the opportunity to go to FedEx on Friday and you probably saw this in our bank account. And I sent off five packages of new homeowner or refi packages. Extremely happy to be able to do so. Sent some shirts and I think a couple of them got koozies. We're actually out of the Louisiana hot sauce koozies now. So we need to reload with those and and maybe some of the Madso stickers. Uh, But awesome, awesome rates, customer service. Little Noel chat, 844 loan. Give them a shout. You, that's the move. By the way, home run Choi off, off Garrett Cole. That is awesome. Not not to go off topic here. We, we, we like to stay on topic on this pod. We, we, we know you're not here for my Rays baseball takes, but that was uh, he, he just went oppo taco off off Garrett Cole, and that was uh, that was a thing of beauty. I don't know why it, why it is, but he just owns that dude. I thought the point you made though about Blackman and the staff being maybe fooled by Blackman in practice and not seeing the real meltdown type thing until games is is potentially like a really smart one, man. And I don't know how you simulate that, but it, it certainly involves a lot of decisions they make and, and, and influences a lot of decisions they make. Does Jordan Travis start a game in November? Their first November game is the seventh because they get, they get the bye week after Louisville. If he's healthy, yes, I do. I, I believe he does. Now, injuries have been part of, and that's a statement you can make about any football player, uh, no ish Ingram. Uh, but it you know injuries have been part of the mix for him and and injuries are, are part of the reason why we haven't seen him as much as we have so i would throw that in even more but if he's healthy i think he's very much part of your your quarterback formula uh, throughout the rest of the year i do i think it's also it's uh and maybe this is an unfair to him but uh but i feel like you can pull jordan travis easier you can play him a little bit differently maybe it's because he kind of whether or not it's fair again that he's seen as somewhat of a gadget quarterback but I you know sometimes when you pull a kid a quarterback you're not sure if you're ever going to get him back again mentally uh you know you you feel like if particularly if they've been on the roster for a while and you're kind of embarrassing him uh, I think you have flexibility of deployment with Travis that you don't with with any other quarterback on the roster and you know if it means that you tell him he's going to take two series uh each quarter for the rest of the season or something like that that that's something that you can work with where maybe you couldn't other prospects. Okay. So also this, right? Like you're, if, if you do make a move, your next couple games are Notre Dame, North Carolina and Louisville. There's a good chance Notre Dame 
shuts this offense down at least somewhat this this weekend. And then you have two games coming up where you're really going to have to score. Now I'm not I'm not saying they're going to go 0 and 3 in this stretch, but it's it's not impossible to think that they do. And if you're in the middle of an 0 and 3 stretch and you still have not beaten a D1 or an FBS team, then you have all the cover in the world to to make a switch and say, "Hey, like we're, we're going to go ahead and try Purdy. We still want you to be involved in this offense." And I, I think because of its history, like you said, of being sort of a gadget guy, uh, maybe, maybe he'd be receptive to that. But look, there's also the possibility, and I want to note this, that Jordan Travis gets better. I think the staff was surprised by how well he played on Saturday. I think I think it took him off guard. Not that he was able to execute the concepts, but that he was able to play as well as he did. And I bet you they're actually intrigued about how, how far can we go with this? And you know, can we win a couple games with this? It's not a guarantee that Purdy takes over for him at a certain point in the year or or not a certain point in the year. Like there's there's a possibility he, he keeps rolling. So I, I I think that's a very hard question to answer, even though I pose it. I'm, I'm glad you had to uh I'm glad you're the one who had to answer it. <laughs> so you know. Shout out to Dalvin Cook, who's the one of the only guys I ever saw execute the middle of the run deuces to the opponent and actually still <laughs> score because we had it twice yeah. this weekend. Did you see this? Yeah, you see, you see, you see it, you see it where it doesn't necessarily come to fruition. Yeah, I felt so bad for that Kentucky kid, man. I mean, like obviously it's a dumb move, but he's a college kid and he flashes the deuces to the crowd and then I think looks up and realizes like, oh, yeah, I'm. I'm not clear of everybody, and he gets tackled. You you saw what happened on the next play? Uh, I did not. No, he fumbled at the goal line. At old, like so, he's 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 got a breakaway touchdown. If he keeps running hard, he's gonna score. I'm pretty sure because like he barely gets gets his heel clipped by by the defender who dove and and, and caught him at like the two, and then Ole Miss loses forty two to forty one. So, uh, and then there was another game. It might have been. Was it Texas? I think it was the Texas game. Where the guy threw up the deuces and, and, and they got caught from behind. All right, y'all. We will conclude the null cast here. Uh, th- thank you to all of our sponsors, as always. Listener questions, feedback uh, will be what constitutes the majority of our next show. Just weren't able to merge both of them together. Uh, but what it means for you guys is that you'll have more podcasts over the course of the week than you would have otherwise. So hopefully that's a good thing. Thank you again to our sponsors. Thank you to you, the listeners. If you get a chance to give us a five-star review, it is always much appreciated. And for now, uh, this has been the Nullcast. This has been the Nullcast. The Nullcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Nulls.